All right. Well, I want to just start off uh, part four, the end of the world. <laughs> and we saw that it's actually not the end of the world. But I just want to start off saying, and especially for South African viewers who will understand this, risk and freedom, rest and peace of your finances, of your jobs, and over the concern, the confusion, and the fear that a lot of these um, end-time people are bringing to you. So I just want to um, just quickly make a note here. I've done a lot of study, uh, but I owe a lot of my understanding that I'm gaining, and I'm still not there yet, um, to Annalise van Rensburg. You know, it's months and months and years and years and hours and hours discussion of talking, of looking at the word, of searching, and uh, endeavoring to understand. And uh, she's got a much better grasp of it than what I have. But I've committed myself to studying it because it's important for us to know. We're right in that time period from Passover to the Ascension where um, this message absolutely fits in. And then, of course, it was a prelude looking forward to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So I just want to start and review last three messages. This is part four. We looked at the coming referred to in Matthew 24. We referenced with Daniel. Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 12, the 70 weeks. And I know it's been a lot for a lot of you, but the nice thing is that you have a rewind, replay button, rewind, replay button, and then you can go to your Bibles and do what I've had to do and then uh, read the scriptures and then go through and make notes from what I'm saying and go and read the word. You know, it's so much easier to say, Pastor John, <laughs> what does the Bible say about this? But, you know, I really want to teach you for you to understand so that you're not blown around by every wind of doctrine that's coming. So we looked at the, the coming of Jesus with all the accompanying things that those people talk about. You know, the rapture, the, all that suffering, the great tribulation, the revealing of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, you know, and the great right throne judgment, all of those things we saw has happened um, and fulfilled in AD 70. We saw that Jesus said, with all the science and everything that was going on, he said, this generation, to you guys who I'm speaking to, this generation will not pass away until all be fulfilled. So um, Johan was mentioning it. They had a friend, a couple that phoned them newly married, and they were saying, we don't want Jesus to come now. We want to have a baby. And, you know, I want to just say, get married, have babies, buy new furniture, get your new car, buy your house. It's not happening. It already has happened. So, you know, I covered a lot of those things. He's coming with its events. The day of vengeance, the day of wrath, the coming in the clouds, the end of the world, the new heaven and the earth. We touched on the riders on the white on the on the horses, the white horse coming, bent on conquest, a conquering power, red, and it could be Jesus, but I think it was possibly the conquering forces of Rome. The black horse was famine, the pale horse was death and decay. Um, you know, the, the red horse was a bloody war with, with huge violence, and they all started to run and um, um, started to move after the crucifixion of Jesus. We saw, and we just basically touched on it, the seven trumpets were persecution by Rome against the city of Jerusalem, seven seals, the mysteries were opened, and it was persecution by Rome on the people of Jerusalem. And then lastly, the seven vials, the final last plagues that hit the earthly temple of Jerusalem and destroyed it, fulfilling the exact words of Jesus. We just touched on the fact that the fig tree and the cursing of the fig tree represented pharisaical religion. We looked at the Song of Moses um, from Deuteronomy 32, where he prophesied 
the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the Jews because of their continued stubbornness and refusal to, to believe. And then the song of Moses became the song of the Lamb. And I just started to touch on things from scriptures past, you know, the Old Testament and, and then touching in the book of Revelations to show you that the book of Revelations is fulfilled. It's not a futuristic book. So today what I want to do uh, this evening is I want to deal with the mark of the beast and uh, also to show you, you know, it's not some future antichrist that is going to come and uh, make sure that we get a certain mark on our foreheads and on our right hands. And, um, you know, We've got to go interpret scripture with scripture. I say it over and over again. Isaiah said, find the scripture, find the mate for the scripture. Then the prophecy is fulfilled by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every matter is established. Someone sent Bev a clip this week and they were talking, I think, about the, you know, the development of the vaccine that's going to come against this um, COVID-19 thing. And, you know, and uh, but if you have the vaccine, it's going to alter your DNA which means then you will never be able to get saved ever or get born again. And then they go to Revelations 13, 18, and he calls us both small and great. And they do the dramatic voice with all the music. And it's like everybody's, oh, we better not take the virus. I mean, the, the vaccine, oh, dear me, it's really, really sad. It really, really is sad. It's tragic, in fact. I think the world listens to a lot of that and just think, you know, like these Christians, there's something wrong with them. So... But let's go to that very well-known passage in Revelations 13. We're going to look from verses 16, 17, 18. Let me just read it quickly, talking about this beast. And he causeth all men, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So the three things. Okay, the mark, the name, the number. And in fact, in Revelations, I think it's Revelations 20, talks about the fact that, you know, all that didn't have bear his image will be put to death. So I'm going to throw that in there. So basically, if you didn't have the mark, you didn't have his name, you didn't have the number of his name, and you didn't have his image, you wouldn't be able to whatever. So here is wisdom. Let him that, that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Okay, singular or plural. A man or a group of men or mankind or, you know, a sort of not mankind in general, but a group of men. And his number is 603 score and six. In other words, 666. So let me, before I tackle that actual verse, I've got to step back. I mean, you know me, we have to be thorough. So I've got to give you a bit of historical background and we've got to go all the way back to Daniel. Now remember Daniel was one of the young princes that was taken by Nebuchadnezzar around the 600s BC, somewhere around there. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego with him were taken in, obviously there were different, different Babylonian names in captivity. And, um, you know, they were being raised up as part of the astrologers, the wise men. And um, they were being groomed for that. And of course, Daniel chapter two, right early in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar calls them all in because he's had a dream and he calls for the interpretation of the dream. You remember the story. He can't remember the dream, but um, Daniel goes away and he prays God is the revealer of mysteries, revealer of secrets, revealer of dreams. He actually gets the dream and then the interpretation of the dream. Tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar his dream was of a statue, head of gold, torso of silver, uh, waist area of bronze and then legs of iron and then the feet were iron and clay mixed 10 toes and uh, so that basically was it 
And um, the interpretation was that these are successive kingdoms, four successive kingdoms, and, and you, O Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Then comes the torso, the media Persian world uh, was the silver. Then came the bronze, the Greek Grecian empire. And then came the legs, and even down to the feet, iron and clay was the Roman empire. And I want you to notice, it says, when it came down to the feet, uh, with a mixture of clay and um, 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 iron, uh, what happened was Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw um, hands come, cut out a rock that came and struck the image um, around the feet. And he says, in the days of those kings, in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And that kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And then this kingdom shall stand forever. Remember I said, Ephesians 3.21, world without end. So in the days of those kings, so how many toes are there? Ten. So in the days of the ten kings is when the kingdom of God will be set up. So it wouldn't be in the Babylonian um, time. It wouldn't be in the Medo-Persian time. It wouldn't be in the Greek time. It wouldn't be in the Romish time early on, but it would be later on that would happen. So the amazing thing is, and you've got to get this because it's really important to understand the mark of the beast, is that Nebuchadnezzar, next chapter, chapter three, he's not satisfied with just being the head of gold. No, he wants to be the whole statue. So he builds a massive statue high and wide and he builds it out in a plane and he orders all the people of his kingdom they've got to come down and bow down and worship that statue now this is key you've got to lock this into your mind this is as key as we go forward uh, through into the book of revelations he wanted worship so this was an earthly ruler without the spirit of god in other words it would not be a theocracy ruled by God. It was not a democracy. It was more like an autocracy or dictatorship, you know, the ultimate ruler. And, and so he was not satisfied with just being the head. He wanted to be living, living forever. And so, of course, you know the whole story. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego did not worship. They did not bow down. Thrown into the fire, Jesus appears with him. And something phenomenal happens in the heart of the king. But what happens and transpires, he has another dream. Daniel comes and interprets the dream, wishes that he didn't have to interpret the dream for the king. This time he dreams of a tree, a massive tree, which is going to be cut down. And, um, and then, you know, the interpretation was that Nebuchadnezzar would be given the heart of a beast. Amazing, amazing prophecy that comes to pass. So he would have the heart of a beast and he would lose his mind, but he would repent and the tree would be restored. And so... Those are those are the things that happen straight afterwards. But that whole spirit, that whole mindset of of the king of Babylon, I want you to understand the head controls the whole body, and so what happens in the head, uh, its effect goes through the entire body, just the same as the body of Christ. The head rules the body, so his influence uh, floods through the whole body, the whole church, or it should. And so you need to understand that even though there were successive empires, that same spirit of one man wanting to own it all, one man wanting to rule, one man having to say, or a government wanting to have the rule or the say, um, goes all the way through. Isn't it amazing that it wants to be worshipped? In other words, it wants to be followed. It wants allegiance. Um, it wants um, that kind of commitment. So the, as we go on, let me just have a sip and get ready. 
Mm. Cheers. So Daniel dreams now in Daniel chapter 7 about four beasts that came out of the sea in succession. That's Daniel chapter 7. So we have the statue. We have four kingdoms by and large, okay, basically. So now he has a dream of four beasts that come up out of the sea in succession. Those four beasts represent the same kingdoms as are represented in the statue. So Annalise always says, if you lay the statue down, it becomes a timeline. Standing up, it's a picture. Now there are four beasts, four animals that are coming out. Now, if we take the statue and the beasts and put them together, we kind of have a head of gold, which was the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, which was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. In other words, swift and destructive. Then um, the silver, the Medo-Persian Empire, was like the bear, raised itself up on one side, you know, or, you know, for dominion, and there were three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and all of these are things have got meaning. Then bronze, the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great, like a leopard, with, which had four wings of a bird on its back, also swift and ferocious. The beast had four heads. And uh, then the next one is um, Rome, the iron. And it was a terrible, powerful, and dreadful, and exceedingly strong beast. It had great iron teeth. It's really interesting that Psalms 2, where D uh, David prophesies that uh, the Lord will rule with a rod of iron. Now, iron represents Rome. And so, in other words, for a time, he was ruling via Rome, and he was using Rome as an instrument uh, to fulfill all his purposes and plans. So he ruled, and particularly ruled um, Jerusalem, and ruled Israel through the Roman Empire, devoured, crushed, trampled what was left with his feet. It was different from all the other beasts that came before it. And uh, I want you to notice it had 10 horns, 10 horns, 10 horns, 10 horns. Remember, we saw 10 toes. Now there's 10 horns. Isn't the Bible amazing? Come on, we need a hallelujah somewhere or an amen. So now let's go back to Revelations 13. This is where we started. We read in verse 16 to 18, but now we're going to go to verse 1. Now John is um, writing in Revelations, and he sees, he says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, which is the nations, um, having seven heads and ten horns. Seven, seven heads, ten horns. Now notice that we saw that this beast with teeth like iron had 10 horns. So he goes on to say, seven heads, 10 horns, and upon his horns, 10 crowns. In other words, they were rulers or kings. And upon his heads, the names of blasphemy. In other words, they were completely against God. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear. I remember Daniel 7. Didn't we see some of these animals like this? So the leopard, the bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his seat and great authority. Now here in Revelations 13, the first bit, here comes this beast out. So it, it, um, it has got uh, 10 heads or 10 horns, sorry, re representing 10 kings. Rulers. So the amazing thing is there's so much similarity now between the total statue and the combination of the four, which, which represented all of those nations. So the emblem of Babylon was a lion, but notice that the beast's mouth here was like that a lion. Um, so the, this particular beast was almost a conglomeration, a sum total of all the empires, you know, represented by the statue. 
all of those nations represented by the animals, you know, joined together that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 7. And, and so the, the, the point that I believe that the Spirit is trying to make to John is that this particular beast is, has the same spirit, the same mindset, that same Babylonish thing flowing through it that flowed through all of those empires. In other words, the spirit is still the same. And this particular um, empire represents that, which was the Roman Empire. So now for the sake of clarity, we just read over here the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. In other words, um, you know, he had his, his authority, his dominion, his rulership um, directly by the intervention of the dragon. So who was the dragon? The dragon was the devil. And we see that from the book of Revelations. I don't think there's any debate about it, that ancient serpent, the dragon. And um, that we see very much uh, depicted in Revelations 12. So that interesting that in the garden, it was a serpent. So the ancient serpent is a dragon. Why is it a dragon? Why is it bigger? Well, because it has um, an empire. It has invaded an empire. So it has the added influence of an empire that it is that it has penetrated. So the dragon is the devil. So now, what was the beast? The beast was that empire, that political system, that political order, that nation under the rulership of the Caesar. It was Rome. But then um, it also mentions the false prophet, this unholy trinity. The false prophet was also the woman that you see sitting on the dragon, which was also the harlot, which you see later mentioned um, in the book of Revelations. Also Babylon, which is mentioned. Now the woman, the harlot, Babylon, is Israel with its religious leaders. It's the woman because it was the woman that would deliver the seed. You know, so Mary uh, was born. She was the woman represented by the woman Israel that would deliver the seed, uh, that would deliver the Messiah. Um, it was the harlot because of all of her adulteries with other nations and plenty of scriptures for that. Um, so the woman, the harlot, and, the, and she also became the false prophet. So because, you know, what it spoke, what the religious leaders spoke, what the Pharisees and Sadducees spoke was all false prophecies, all perversion of the scriptures. The true prophet was Jesus. So, so the harlot or the false prophet was Israel led by its religious leaders. So now let's go back to it. So the dragon, the devil, and beast, the beast, which was Rome, each had 10 horns. Isn't it interesting? They each had seven heads. And that um, represents that they were all of the same spirit. It was a state influenced by Satan, Rome. So now I want you to notice that the devil has the, the, the 10 horns. Rome has the 10 horns. Just the complete integration of a demonic empire. So now listen to the descriptions. Let's read about the dragon, which was Satan, the devil. As I mentioned, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. I hope you're following me. I'm just really trying to make it simple. And it says, there appeared another wondrous sign in heaven. The first sign was the woman. And behold, a great, great dragon having seven heads, ten horns. There it is. And seven crowns upon the head. So each of the seven heads had crowns. So they were rulers and there were ten horns. The, the um, last empire that Daniel saw was Rome. So it had ten horns representing ten kings. This was of the statue of which three kings gave way to one that had a mouth that would speak blasphemous great things. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, he says this. 
After this, I saw in the night visions and beheld a fourth beast, which was the Roman Empire, terrible, powerful, dreadful, exceedingly strong, great iron teeth, devoured, crushed, and uh, it had 10 horns. So Daniel says it. Now, here we see it in Revelations as well. So, um, and as, as I said again, the iron teeth represented Rome, became the rod of iron that God used to rule the nation. So, um, what was happening? Satan was energizing Rome, preparing Rome to do battle against the Messiah, the seed. His whole strategy, all the way along, from the Garden of Eden, from the time God said, listen, serpent, you are cursed above all the other animals of the earth. I want you to know that this woman is going to bring forth a seed and that seed is going to crush your head. You will only bruise his heel, but you're going to crush your head. And from then, the battle raged to eliminate the seed. I mean, you know the story right up until the time of Herod, where he tried to, um, um, you know, take out all the boys under the age of two, because that was would have then annihilated the baby Jesus. And so all the way through, he's trying to eliminate the seed, the seed line that, that would bring forth the Christ. And so, um, but, but, you know, the devil was just building gallows for himself. Here he was influencing Rome. But Rome was going to be the instrument that just thwarted um, all of his plans. But like Mordecai and Haman, you know, Haman built the gallows for Mordecai, but Mordecai, but Haman was hanged in his very own gallows. So the same ten horns are described in connection with the beast by John in Revelation 13. This is the chapter we we're looking at in Revelation 17. So let's look at Revelation 17. It says this, and it tells us the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but will receive power as kings for one hour with the beast. And they will have one mind, the beast and, you know, the dragon and those 10 kings will have one mind, shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and they that are with him are his called, chosen and faithful ones. So they'll never overcome. Praise God for that. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the, where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. I mentioned that. And then he says, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts, the ten horns, to fulfill his will, to agree, to give the kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So that's all of Daniel's prophecies, all of Jesus' prophecies, and many others. So here they formed alliance. Satan and Rome formed an alliance to fulfill the will of God and, and to fulfill their will and to agree to give the kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So this was a, an army, an unholy alliance to make war against the Messiah. One mind, one purpose. So um, just very quickly, um, I hope you're following me. So let's just recap here. The image, four nations, ten toes down at the bottom in the feet, the Roman Empire. Then um, Daniel sees this beast, ten horns. Uh, John sees the same thing in Revelations. You know, ten horns, um, seven heads. We see that the dragon, the devil, ten horns, seven heads. So the thing that we need to do is try and discover now who are the ten horns? Who are these rulers? Who are these people in authority? We know from history that dur during the Julio-Claudian Claudian dynasty, there were ten Caesars. There was Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, 
Tiberius Caesar, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, and then the next three Caesars were in one year, Galba, Otter, and Vitalis. And then we had um, Vespasian. So these line up with the 10 heads, the 10 toes of the book of Daniel. But now what about the seven, the, the seven heads? These were the 10 horns. What about the seven heads? It's amazing um, that we see this beast had 10 horns, seven heads, and each of the heads had a crown on, so they were also rulers. So the beast was not some kind of animal. The beast was, we could maybe say kind of an antichrist, but not the way that they teach it. Excuse me, cheers, everybody. So who were the seven heads? So we looked at the 10 horns, 10 Caesars. What about the seven heads? So it was in the time of those Caesars, and particularly in the time of Vespasian, he was, you know, um, leading up to 69 to 70 AD, which was coming into the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So who were the seven leaders, the seven heads? So scripture must interpret scripture. So all I've done is I haven't looked at anything outside of the Bible except confirm the Caesars through history, which is there and available for everybody to go and check out. But what we've looked at is Daniel's prophecy, John's prophecy, and it's quite evident from those, those uh, Bible passages that this is correct. And then we go to Luke chapter three, amazing chapter that's full of revelation just unfolding. We're reading a story. We don't connect it into the bigger picture. And so um, we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled and the timing being fulfilled all in Luke chapter three. So we find the exact description of these seven heads or seven rulers and it was during the reign of Tiberius Caesar that um, Revelation and Daniel talk about. So the stage is set. Um, the kingdom of God is being inaugurated. The timing is coming in perfectly, prophesied by Daniel. So let's read Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign. Now listen to this. So we're talking about, okay, the seven heads. We saw the ten orders. I said, count with me. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. And then it says in the, um, I think I've missed one out. It says, okay, okay, so, oh, right, it's um, Tiberius Caesar. That's right. Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, and then it's Annas, when the priest, the priesthood was a double, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, seven of them altogether. Five um, were secular and two were religious. And so these were the heads, the rulers, the people in high authority. These were um, the seven heads that were ruling at that particular time. And so the rulers joined these rulers with the two um, priests joined together with Rome, with the devil, and they formed um, this beast that required the mark for all the people. So the book of Revelations, chapter 17, symbolized, symbolically refers to them as mountains. And he says, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So the seven, seven mountains are several, several are seven spiritual forces and or rulers or authorities. So the woman was sitting on them. So in other words, it was um, 
Israel was sitting on this power and was based on its power. So Luke chapter 3 tells us that John comes preaching a baptism of repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is baptized. When he comes out of the water, the spirit of God descends on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and the Christ is manifest. After that, the devil um, comes to tempt him in the wilderness and then leaves him for a more opportune time. It really is amazing that at the baptism, I mentioned this in Daniel 70 weeks, at his baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the 70 weeks of Daniel was completely fulfilled. And now begins the ministry of Jesus. Now begins uh, that, the, that last section of the three and a half years that's going to take us up, and, um, up to the persecution of the Jews. So everything is being fulfilled. So we see um, we see the beast, we see the woman. Now let's look at the dragon. The dragon had 10 horns with seven heads, also mentioned in connection with the dragon and the beast which, on which the woman sat. It says in Revelation 12, 3, there appeared another wonder sign in heaven. I think I read it. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads, 10 horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns. And upon his horns he had 10 crowns and upon his heads, the names of blasphemy. So let's just review quickly. So here we have the dragon, the devil, also had seven heads, 10 horns. Here we have the beast, seven heads, 10 horns. That's the national political power of Rome. Now we have the false prophet. We have the woman sitting on it, empowered by and giving power to. This is the harlot. This is you know, the false prophet, this is Israel led by its religious leaders. Here is the unholy trinity. So together they form this alliance that is going to be against Christ and destroy Christ and his kingdom. Revelation 16 also reveals that they're called frog spirits because out of, you know, the beast or the mouth of the dragon came three spirits looking like frogs. And, um, you know, because they would speak by the mouth of the dragon, they would speak uh, um, the, basically the words of the devil. They would be complete instruments. Isn't it amazing that it fulfills what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8? He says, you know, if any of the princes of this world knew what was going on, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. They were being influenced. They were being driven. And um, even though the religious leaders were leaving, reading the prophecy, studying the prophecy, and they knew the references Jesus was making, she got angry with them, wanted to kill him and take him out. They didn't realize they were the ones and they were fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's David's prophecy in Psalm 2 all over again. Why do the heathen range, the people imagine a vain thing, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Oh, I've got to hurry. And against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Despite all your conniving and all your strategies and all your alliances, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son this day have I begotten thee? Ask of me, and I shall give the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And so we are the inheritance of Jesus, and no alliance was going to stop it. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them to, in pieces like a potter's vessel. Isn't that just exactly Daniel's prophecy of that 
um, beast that symbolized Rome, that part of the statue. So be wise now. So the Trinity was now in alliance with the rulers of the world, the religious leaders of Israel, in order to complete their wicked plan against the Christ. All this was prophesied. But now I just want you to notice, um, just to be fair to scripture, Revelations 13, the second part, and a second beast is mentioned. Similar to the first, almost dead, but revived. It's the form of the first beast. But here it's, I've got the two horns of the lamb, that speaks with the voice of dragon. It's the same empire. It's revived, but now it has a new agenda, a new goal. And that agenda is to work in alliance with the false prophet, with the dragon, to take out the Christ. So the dragon, the beast, the false prophet are mentioned in the book of Revelation also, and they were all defeated at Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is not a battle to come. It's symbolic of what took place at the cross, the victory that Jesus established the cross. And now let's get on to the mark of the beast. We saw the mark of the beast. And um, we saw, um, as I just go back to the verses, where he says in, the, in this mark of the beast, he causes all men, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or on their foreheads. No man may buy on sale. Now you've got to understand in symbolism, um, you can't drive every single point. Jesus said, I am the door. You know, no one comes, man comes to the Father except by me. So, you know, you can start saying, well, the door's got hinges. What are the hinges? It's got a door handle. What is the handle? No, no, no. The picture is Jesus is the door. So when it says they couldn't buy or sell, in other words, they, they, they had to conform um, to what was required by the beast. So here is wisdom. Let him that understand count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man or men, and his number is 666. So now we've had a look at that. So let's now try and understand what is the mark. Remember I said scripture must interpret scripture. A mark, a seal, a sign, a token, a frontlet, placed on the forehead or on the hands. And throughout scripture, we see this. It's either a curse, it's either negative, or it's positive. Now I want you to understand that only one place in the book of Revelations that mentions this, like now in Revelations 13, people receiving a mark in the negative. But about five times it talks about it in the positive. In other words, we, as the people of God, we will have a mark. We will have his name on our foreheads or on our hands. But anyway, let's continue. Um, for example, in Genesis 4.15, God placed a mark on Cain so nobody would kill him. What was that mark? Was it a literal mark? What is a spiritual mark? The, the thing with a lot of these people that interpret the mark of the beast is that they interpret it as a literal physical thing, um, whereas everywhere else or many other places, it's a spiritual thing. To be um, true to Bible interpretation, you've got to decide, is it physical or is it spiritual? Is it literal or is it symbolic? And this we've got to understand. So in Exodus 28, for example, the priest wore a plate of gold on his forehead, which said, holy unto the Lord, which represents the redeemed man. And so you and I as born again Christians, we have, you know, that emblem on our foreheads that says, holy unto the Lord. And is it a physical mark? Was it a spiritual thing? It's a spiritual thing. So let's keep interpretation true. Exodus 13, 9 and 16. Um, it was the, the, the Jews were to remember the Passover as a memorial on their minds and on their hands. 
So what does this talk about? Maybe as we go through, let me introduce it now. It talks about having the mindset of God, the understanding of God, and, and then on the hand that our works, in other words, in our thinking, in our psyche, in, in within and without in our actions, we to conform to the will and the word of God and to the image of God himself, to the nature of God in, in our thinking, our understanding, in our conduct, the works of our hands. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 8. And 1118, he, he talked about um, remembering the words of God. And that could be like on the forehead, a sign and on the hand. Solomon chapter 8 verse 6 talked about love as being a seal upon the heart and upon the arm or the hand is a, is a symbolic of love for someone. Now, here is the, a really good one. In Ezekiel chapter 9, Ezekiel has a vision where God needs to start. Oh, I've got to hurry. God needs to start um, judgment um, in Israel, and he says, go into the holy place, go into the sanctuary, and he sees executioners and a man with a writing tablet, and uh, the instructions given to the man with a writing tablet is to go throughout the city, and um, starting in the sanctuary, in other words, starting with the priest, and he was saying, everyone who's not grieved by the sin, and is not interceding for this nation, um, you know, everyone who is, put a name on them, and um, and everyone who isn't, don't put the name on them, you know, not a literal thing, it's a spiritual thing, in other words, those who had the heart of God against them, and the heart of God for the city, and for righteousness, the executioners were to go, but they were not to harm those who had the name on the forehead or the hand, but those outside, in other words, it was for all of those who were unbelievers, those who were marked with God's mark by the, the scribe, were not to be harmed at all. So here we can see, if we go into Revelations 2, verse 17, it says, he that is an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that hath received it. Revelations 13, 16, the beast places a mark on the hand of the forehead, a negative mark. Is it literal? Is it spiritual? Well, all things consistent, if the others are spiritual, this has to be spiritual. In other words, the mark there of the beast there is that they have the mindset of the beast. They think like the beast. They conform to his image. They do what he does. In other words, they are reflections of, his, of him. They are images, copies of the beast. Revelations 14, 9, 11, 16, verse 2, 19, verse 20. Revelations 9, verse 4. I'm mentioning the very quick at 20, verse 4. But the one that I want to get to at 15, verse 2, the one that I want to get to is here, Revelations chapter 3, verse 12. And let me just slow down a bit as we come to a close. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, I don't know why they don't talk about this particular verse. He shall go no more out because he'll be established in the temple. I will write upon him the name of my God. Inferences, forehead and hand. And the name of the city of my God. So we're going to have, you know, three lots of names. The name of God, the name of the city of God. In other words, those who have the name of God, we make up the city of God. Jesus said, you're the city city on the hill. Which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Now, this is Jesus talking. So we're going to have the name of God. We're going to have name, the name of the city. We're going to have the name of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is in the image of God. And uh, we're going to have their character, their mindset, their psyche, their way of thinking, and their way of doing, and their way of speaking, and their 
conduct, our actions are all going to be like him. And then together we constitute the city of God. Cheers. That's a good place to say amen. So Revelation 7. Verse 3. Hurt not on the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So I just need to clear my So we see here that um, the children of God, servants of God are marked with his name, forehead, and on our hands. So it's in our thinking and in our actions. Our name represents our character, which represents his character. And so we can go all the way through. A name represents character. So we were to bear this mark, the mark of his name, the mark of his image. Remember many times, one minute left or so, that in the Bible, God would change names. Parents would give children names that suited their characters. And so the name represents character. Abram changed to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, even Hoshea to Joshua. And we can go all the way through Simon to Peter, and uh, or Simeon to Peter, all the way through Jacob to Israel. And so it's representative of character, of a character. So the beast was to give a mark, and the mark would be of his name, and the name would represent his character. So God wants us to have his name, and that's the new name, sons, sons of God, and that would reflect then that we have his character. So I think I have very much made it clear. So let's go all the way back to Revelations 13, and let's just look at those verses again and see here that um, what John is writing about is the fact that we have a, an empire with an emperor that has a religious order attached to it, that has the devil behind it, and he's influencing rulers, um, you know, of different levels, and, and some religious and some secular the devil is behind it, infiltrating. And so people were to then take on the image of this system, which would be then anti-Christ. So not an individual, a system. And so he calls it all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And no man could buy or sell, say that he had the mark, of the, or the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So here's wisdom. Let him understand. It's triple six. Okay. And so Revelations 20 talks about his image, 20 verse 4. So let's look at 666. Okay, I said a minute, so now we've got a minute left. You know, people try to take the numbers, the numerical value of Hebrew letters, and then take um, Nero Caesar, basically, uh, Nero Kaiser, and then they try and translate it into Hebrew and then attach the numerical value. And they basically say, ah, it adds up to 666. Well, I don't, I don't really agree with that. It's very dicey because, you know, Santa Claus can be, Ronald Reagan can be 666, you know, and they've, they've got it wrong. So I don't agree with that. What I rather look at is biblical symbolism of numbers, biblical numerology. Six is the number of man, singular or plural. And uh, because he was created on the sixth day. So if you take three, three being perfection, being God, and you basically put six, 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 well, that's the number. So what is it? It's man elevating himself to putting himself 
in the place of God, to be worshipped as God, setting himself up, and these are scriptures that, that come, uh, uh, to be worshipped as God. Very much what was happening with the Tower of Babel, when the people got together and said, let us build us a city that reaches to God, you know, and they wanted to be like God. So that's that goes right back to the garden. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because you will be like God. So it's that same spirit infused into that same system. It was there in the head of Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar, went down through the media Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire. Remember Alexander the Great sitting down and crying when there was no more nations to conquer, no more worlds to take, you know, because he wanted to rule everything. So the triple six is this body of people, an empire um, aligned with religion, energized by the devil. And so um, when did this all, was this all fulfilled? The mark of the beast, everything. It's not something that's going to happen now. It's not something attached to a vaccine with the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, from a little boy, I heard it was literally how Lindsay <laughs> had these books and you'd be branded with an iron like a cow <laughs> with a 666 on, on the forehead. I mean, I used to, oh, I used to live in absolute fear when I read Al Lindsay's books on, on the Antichrist and stuff like that. Then later it became the barcode, then was the computer, then floppy disk, stuffy disk, then was the beast computer somewhere. And then it was the Pope's, Pope because his peer box was 666, then somebody's number plate was 666, and then it was, oh, man. Then it was all the chips that were being produced, you know, then it was going to be inserted in this, and they would scan us. Oh, dear me. And, you know, every single one of them have been wrong, never with an apology, never. I challenge all those who've put out this theory now about the vaccine. I challenge you, be a man, be a woman, repent and ask for forgiveness to the body of Christ when it turns out that it's not this vaccine. And so um, it's the body of people aligned against the Messiah, Jesus. So as, I, as we come to a close, I just want to speak peace. Don't get caught up in all the fear and all of those kinds of things. Um, the Antichrist, John says in 1 John, 2 John, the Antichrist is already in the world. Maybe, you know, we can trace a little bit of that all the way through. What, why was the Antichrist in the world? Right from the Garden of Eden to take out the seed line of the Christ who would come and destroy Satan. Is there an Antichrist now? Yes. It's a whole system that is anti-us, the anointed, anti-us preaching the gospel, but it's been overcome. And we're not going to get some mark and not be able to buy or sell or trade or anything like this. It's out there. I mean, when you try and tell somebody about Jesus and they reject it and they react and they swear at you, well, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. But you just keep going, you know, and we preach the gospel and more and more of them are getting saved. And, uh, you know, so the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. This is a world without end. This a kingdom shall never be destroyed and uh, it shall be there forever. The saints will possess the kingdom, Daniel says. And then, of course, John sees the kingdom of our God, kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Maybe, maybe you need peace. Maybe your job is under threat. Maybe finances are low. And um, I, I just particularly want to pray for you. Maybe you can just touch the device, just reach out your hand. And I'm just reaching out my hand to the camera and just pray God's provision for you, God's peace for you, um, praying protection and safety of your jobs. And uh, that, you know, the Lord would just bring you through this thing. Also, I just really felt to pray healing.
And uh, just while Johan was worshiping, I just felt the Lord say, to speak healing, there are people watching right now. Maybe you're watching your other t- another time zone. And, and, and maybe there, there's some sickness in your body. There's some structural fault in your bones or in the flesh or in organs. Maybe there's some other kind of disease or something like that. So I, I just speak healing over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say by his wounds, you have been healed. Right now across the airwaves, let the healing of the Lord Jesus Christ invade your body. And I, just, I see the Lord touching somebody's hearing right now. And it might even be there's a buzzing or something happening in your ears. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak healing. I speak healing, uh, diabetes. I rebuke that diabetes and I command perfection right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Blood sugar come right. They're fixed on the heart. They're fixed on the circulation. I command um, your body to align to the word of God, to the healing of Christ that you obtained in the cross. By his stripes, you are healed in Jesus' mighty name. So the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make you strong. The Lord continue to provide for you. The Lord be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you. The Lord put his favor on you. The Lord give you success. The Lord give you restful sleep at night. That you sleep as those who are loved by God and those who love God. And uh, you're not laboring in vain. And God is building your house. So peace to you. Riss and Frieda in Jesus' name. Thank you, Johan. Thank you very much. Bless you. Sunday, 9 a.m. Love you. Love you too. Thank you.